Before we jump in, give me about one minute of your time, and then we'll get right into our lesson. I want to challenge us all with something. I don't know if you follow the news and you follow culture, but how many of you would say that we probably have a great cultural issue at hand in our country with just where the world is going and the agenda of uh, what we would call in Christianity, the enemy's camp uh, does what they do well. And I believe it's time for us believers to do what we do well. And my challenge to all of you is to begin to pray because we cannot do it alone, but we can do it together. And by doing it together, I believe that everybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit and you have a gift. And I would love you to pray about opening your home. Pray about how God can use you in your 50 feet because there's things God wants to do beyond just Sunday and Wednesday. And he wants to do it in you and through you. So begin to pray. I've been asking this a lot of people and I've got people that are just, God, how do you want to use me? What do you want to do? We've got home Bible studies starting up. We've got people that are feeling stirred to open their home and some that are just wanting to meet on different days at restaurants and just talk about God and encourage each other. So I don't know what it looks like and I don't want to put it in a box, but I do want to say, I want you to pray and say, God, if you can use anything, use me and how will you use me? Amen. Amen. And I think we can do it. Well, let's pray. And then we will jump right into lesson number 16. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you empower us and give us understanding. Open our mind tonight. Open our spirit. Jesus was clear that our heart is like a soil. And so tonight as we plant the word of God, let it find good ground in the soil of our heart and let it produce fruit. And that is my prayer. Give us understanding what opinion is mine. Let us be wise enough to chew the meat and spit out the bone. And that which is truly of you and your spirit, let us be mature enough to let it find good ground that we may grow by it. And I give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. And would you just shout a good amen? amen. We're on lesson number 16 tonight. And I am very excited about where we're going between now, we're mid-February, so we've got March, April, May. We've got about 11 weeks to 12 weeks left. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be deep diving in the New Testament and trying to understand what is the kingdom of God as it resides right now for us. So we've left the Old Testament. We kind of did a midstream moment of the secret of the kingdom last week is the word of God. But now we're going to begin to jump into what is the kingdom as Jesus begins to introduce it to us. And then how does it apply in our life? How do we apply it in our homes, in our work, and in our marriage? And what does it even mean for us when we say kingdom, the government of God? So if you'll open your Bible, if you will, let me give you this thought. And then I'll show you kind of how I've worked it out and where we're going tonight. Here's the thought. This is what we've learned over the last 15 weeks. So I did my best to take 15 weeks of teaching and put it in a sentence with a few commas. Is that okay? God select people. So we taught, we said select because God chooses a nation in Abraham. And so the scope of God's kingdom government is this. It's God select people living in righteous fellowship. So that's what he's about. We talked about blood sacrifice and all of that with God and each other. There's no getting around it. We're called to do this together, never alone. And we are to display the wisdom, the power, and the authority of God where the entire earth. So if I summed up the 15 lessons, I would sum up the 15 lessons in that one nice sentence. I'll read it one more time. It is God's select people, his chosen people, living in righteous fellowship. That was the priesthood and all the sacrifices we talked about and that God wanted to know us, not just give us rules. He wanted to be in relationship with us and to be in fellowship with God and each other. We talked about communal life. We talked about getting alone and how to, what God is after. But we were to all the other nations that were watching that had other gods and that had other powers that were coming against God. We as his people operating under his kingdom government should display his wisdom, which is totally different than the world and his power. You see it all the way through the Old Testament, whether it's Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
or nation against nation. They were to display God's authority throughout the whole earth. And so we come now, I hope I did a good job in this. We come to what was the subject of the last 15 weeks or what is the subject of the kingdom of God. And the subject of every line item was Jesus Christ. Then when you talk about kingdom, the government of God, there's no way to talk about it without talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus as the pre-manifest God in the flesh, which was God, Jesus, the word that existed before he became flesh. And we talked about all the places, but that everything pointed to him. And you remember the symbol I gave you, it, I gave you a cross, but here's how it works itself out. We've learned that Jesus is the word and he's the word of God's authority. And he's the head of all creation. So these are some things we've picked out about Jesus, this subject of the kingdom of God. Number two, he is the work of God's authority. Meaning he's the redemption for all creation. So he's the word of God's authority, meaning he's the head of it all. So the reason Jesus is going to be part of God's kingdom authority is he's the head of it all. He, the Bible says he holds it all together. It was fashioned by the power of his word, but he's the work of the authority of the Godhead because he was the redemption. He's the one that became flesh and gave his life to redeem man so we could have that righteous fellowship. And then number three, he is the way to God's authority. Nobody comes to the Father but my me, Jesus will say. And then that means he's also the head of the new creation and the new creation is going to be the church without belaboring the point because I've talked about it a lot. This whole purpose of the kingdom of God was to launch the church. The beauty of it is if you say, man, I wish I could just live the pages of the Bible. You can, although it won't be written again, but you're living it out right now. You are, you are in, in the strangest of sense, you're far beyond any story you read in the Old Testament. You are far beyond all of them because none of them who served God in the Old Testament and all the stories we've been talking about had what we're going to talk about tonight that is unique to you. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to deal with this thinking right here at the bottom under number three, that Jesus is the head of this mystery the church and yet we've done such a poor job and a good job in some ways of even defining what is church we've turned it into religious buildings we've turned it into stained glass we've turned it into hymnals and denominations but there's no getting around that if you talk about government and the government of God and how does God rule and reign you cannot bypass the church so whether we like it or not whether we agree with it or not, it is a biblical truth that we have to deal with this thing called the church. And my belief is buckle up because I feel like God is about to do something with this motley crew of people in America called the church. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I have a feeling that God's going to narrow it down a little bit and he's going to put his finger on a remnant of people that are hungry for him that are seeking righteousness, that are thirsting after righteousness, and God is gonna put his finger down to display his wisdom, his power, and his authority. So don't ever get discouraged, like where is the church? It's still here. It's all, all, we're not waiting on God. God typically is waiting on us to begin to seek him and press into him and begin to hunger because he said, if you do hunger, I'll fill you with righteousness. So let's go to what we've been showing you all along this nice big slide of where we are and we've worked ourselves all the way through and now we're gonna spend a long time here on the church life. We're going to spend 12, about 10 to 12 weeks trying to break this out. What does it look like? How does it operate in my life? Open your Bible if you will, if you don't mind and we're gonna read a lot tonight because what I'm gonna do tonight is try to set the stage for us so that we know where we're going and kind of get the plane ready to take off. But open your Bible to Mark chapter one, if you will. Mark chapter one. So in Mark, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, historically we're about 4,000 years past Adam. 
So 4,000 years have transpired, and there's been a long period of time in your Bible, it's the separation of the Old and the New Testament. Uh, the book of Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament, but at that moment, God became very silent. Uh, I, I guess there's reasons we could deduce why God became silent, but there were no prophets. There was nothing happening. It was just seemingly dead. Where did God go? Maybe he gave up on us humans, but we find ourselves with two people. We'll deal with them later, but two people are still around waiting, and it's a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna, and what it does is it gives me hope that even when we feel like, where is God? Where is the revival? Where is the power? Where, is the, where are the healings and the miracles? It still took people that were willing to show up and stay faithful even in the midst of dryness. Even in the midst of I don't even hear God and know God, they kept pressing into God. We're going to talk about that, but in that quietness, uh, there comes a man on the scene. He came in pretty loud in a virgin birth, but it's kind of an obscure life because we were introduced to his first eight days. Then they skipped 12 years and we're introduced to him again at 12. And then we skip 18 years and we're introduced to him again when he's an adult. I often wish that somebody would have written about his childhood or his teenage years. How did Mary raise a teenager? How did she raise God? But we're, it would all be speculation. But what we do is we pick up God in the flesh, showing up from a period of silence having spent 4,000 years getting a people that are called his own, the nation of Israel, having come into a relationship with them and led them and guided them and established kingdoms with them. And then the Son of God himself pops up, and we find it in Mark chapter 1 very interesting because what would the Son of God say when he steps on the scene? Yo, I'm here. I'm going to, you know, what would you say? It's your crowning moment. Well, this is what he says in Mark 1. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. Now listen to what he said. Thank God for Mark that will give us a little insight on it. He said, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So the, one of the first things God says when he opens his mouth is to pull everybody back to the kingdom. So don't, don't think it's, something, it's anything different. That's what I want us to get. Don't, don't think anything's any different. It's been quiet for a long time. But the kingdom, the government of God on the earth has always been God's plan. And God himself shows up and goes, well, it's here. It's right here among you. It's near. But I love what he said. He said, the time promised by God has come. So here's what I wrote that I want to challenge us with tonight. The time promised must be distinctly different in God's kingdom government than anything ever known before. Because Jesus says, even though the kingdom has been being established through the Old Testament with the laws and all the moral values and the nutritional values and the way they would live and everything that's established, what we do get from Jesus is the time has finally come. It's now, meaning that all we see in the Old Testament is moving toward this crowning moment. And whatever the crowning moment is, it's obviously distinctly different than anything else. So to understand the truth of God's kingdom, we would do ourselves a disservice to only study the Old Testament. We would have to come forward to the moment that Jesus says, well, everything we've been working toward is culminating now. This is the shining moment. This is the reality of what it's been about the whole time. Even before time began, this is what it's always been about. And that to me is pretty inspiring. It makes me, I'll go back and read it one more time. It makes me have to pause a minute and say, what is so distinctly different now 
than everything else we've talked about the last 15 weeks. What is so, what is going to be so mind blowing? Because as I read through the 15 weeks and we studied it, I left inspired many times. Like, man, I, I like that. That blessed me. I told somebody today in a conversation, I said, I've learned more teaching on the kingdom of God than I've learned ever in this. I've never taught this subject before. And then I read this verse, Mark, Mark 1 15, the time has come. The thing that's been promised is finally here. You remember how we started in Ephesians before the world ever was, this thought was brewing. And now that thought is not a dream anymore. It's not just prophecies anymore. Everything prophesied, every dream ever given, every angel ever sent to do a job, every individual person ever chosen culminates right now. And so therefore we, we gosh, we would do ourselves a disservice not to open our eyes and go, so then what is this all about then? And so here we run through it. Look at what Paul will say, and I'll try to explain it a little bit as we dig it out. First Corinthians chapter two, Paul says, no, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. And he even says it's a mystery. There's no way you could have figured it out. There's no way. If you sat there and read and read and read and read every line item of the Old Testament prophets, there's no way you could have figured it out because it's been hidden the whole time. It was a mystery that only God himself knew. As a matter of fact, it was so mysterious that even the other spirit beings had no clue. Like it, it lends itself that it was just in the mind of God. So that whatever God's doing, he's not doing haphazard and he's not doing out of frustration. Whatever he's doing has always been in his mind keeping him, which is why the Bible can say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's because the reason he can say that is not that he's sometimes angry at humans and sometimes he's happy because that seems like he's changing. What it means is that he never changes. Is that the plan that was always resident within his own will? Wisdom has never changed. It's been the same the whole time. It just doesn't look like that because it's been hidden. So as we read the book of Daniel and as we read about Shadrach or as we read about Samson and Gideon and the judges and the kings, the whole time we're reading it's kind of unfair because we get to read backward. We get to kind of already know the story and then go back and read about it. But when they're living it and they're talking about God governing and kingdoms and other kings and other nations, they're clueless to what's up. We know this is true because when Jesus came and began to establish what he wanted to establish, his followers could not fathom. They could not understand this thing called death. We, we thought you were coming to take a kingdom over. What do you mean you're going to die and then be raised up? And, and then even when he did die and get raised up, they just quit believing it and just went back to living life because it was so far out of their thinking. And then when the sheep came down and God said, look, fellas, I need you to go to the Gentiles. The Jews, the Jews were like, oh, how dare you? We would never break rank and go to these sorry, no good people over here. And God's like, yeah, because I'm revealing a mystery that's been hidden. It's about everybody and not just this one race of Jewish people. So whatever we've learned up till now, there's been this little nugget of hidden mystery. Now watch how powerful this is if we keep going. But the rulers of the world... Don't understand it. If they had, they wouldn't have even crucified the Lord. That is what scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind. So I highlighted this in blue for you. No mind has imagined it. I'm just going to let that soak a minute. Because we get to cheat. We're like, well, we can imagine it because we know what Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian and Pentecostal and Catholic and Church of God in Christ and Second Church of God in Christ and Third Baptist. And we, we know. 
But left to ourselves, there's no way we could have imagined putting different races of people from different walks of life with different personality issues all in the same building, believing the same thing, shook them all up and said, get along with each other. Never. I only want to hang out with people I like, not people I don't like. And God said, no, I'm going to put all of you in a room and bag and shake you up and go, good, get along and love each other. So what we do know is the world would have never imagined what the kingdom of God would look like in this thing called the church. And my belief is 2,000 years later, here we sit and, oh, I can imagine it. It's mean people, pastors who've done me wrong. It's people who've gossiped about me. It's denomination. It's just religion. I don't need that. I can do without it. Because what happened is we went from the thing that was unimaginable, kept in the mind of God that was a mystery that was so powerful that the demons themselves could not even fathom it because if they knew what would have happened, they would have never killed him. Ponder that for a minute. If the devil knew, and now the result is this, the result was not if the devil knew Jesus would resurrect he wouldn't have killed him. Because he's already alive. They've already conversated before. The devil already knows the, the word is the son is alive because he's been up there. So when it says, had he known, he wouldn't have killed him. Because killing him and him coming back is the same thing. He's still alive. What was going to happen in this mystery is that the reason they would have never killed him because they didn't understand it because no demon could imagine that what is about to happen is the moment this crucified God comes back to life, the crucified God is going to empower human beings to operate with his authority. And I'm going to lose drastically. I had enough trouble with a Jewish dude from Galilee. And now I've got millions of you I have to deal with. It was unimaginable in the spirit world that a God would inhabit a human being. Spirits don't inhabit a human being. So this unimaginable thing is not that they would kill him and he would come back. It was unimaginable in the sense that when he came back, he would empower Marlene and give Marlene every bit of his authority and every bit of his power and say, go into the world and make me known and I will show you my wonders with signs that follow you if you but believe. So the devil sees this happen. We'll talk about it in depth in the weeks ahead. Sees it happen. We call it the day of Pentecost. Thousands get born again in a day. The devil's scrambling. What's going on? This is crazy. What's happening? It's never happened before. And then as we go through this thing of the kingdom, what we find out is the enemy is so brilliant is that rather than trying to fight us, he's moved in with us. And he worships with us and camps out with us and befriends us and comes in as a wolf in sheep's clothing whereby he destroys the people of God within the camp. Not outside. What we know is the world will never destroy the church. You have to do it from internally. You have to internalize it all. Well, it goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2.10, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. So now God's saying it's not a mystery anymore. I'm not keeping it hidden anymore. The devils of hell know it and you're going to know it too. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So know this, God's not trying to hide anything from you. I just wish I knew where to work. Well, ask him. He's not hiding anything from you. Amen. 
I just wish I knew what to do with my life. Ask him. He's not trying to hide anything from you. Most of the time, it's just that I've never taken time out of my life to stop and ask, what do you see for my life? What secret do you see that I don't see? Download it to me and I will walk that path. Well, verse 11, no one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. And here's where it gets weird. You ready? And by weird, I mean good. (laughs) That was a poor choice of words. Somebody follows me on YouTube and they say, man, you like the word weird a lot. And I said, I do. It's weird. (laughs) So even when I try not to say it, I do. Except that a person's own spirit and, now look at the final phrase, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's spirit. You ready to get blown away? The mystery is not that you would need a prophet to come and say, this is what God wants and this is what God said, which is what all the Old Testament prophets would do. God said, right? And then they would point their finger and whatever God said hopefully came to pass or they killed them. But the mystery that is about to be revealed that is mind-blowing is that you're not going to need a prophet anymore. God is going to tell you what he's thinking. Holy smoke, I got a yes and a uh uh-huh. God is going to download to me what he's thinking? When was the last time we stopped and said, God, what do you think? I know what I think. I'm irritated. What do you think? What are you thinking right now about my job? What are you thinking about my marriage? What are you thinking about the culture I live in? Tell me your thoughts. There's nowhere else in the Bible God would download his thoughts to a group of people. It was to one person that would speak called a prophet. And now he's like, well, it's going to be a little different because I've got some secrets But those secrets are in my mind, but I'm going to take that secret, which is a thought, and I'm I'm not going to hide it from you. Watch what this verse says. But I'm going to reveal it to you with my spirit. And you can now know. Oh, do you know how that's going to tick the devil off? I'll tell you why. Because the devil is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once, and he doesn't know everything. So God's already got one up on him because God's got his family everywhere. They've already scattered all over the earth. He's got them in Indonesia. He's got them in India. He's got them in New Zealand. He's got them all over. And then he says this, all right, if my people will just listen to me, I'm going to download my thoughts and I'm going to reveal to them what I want to do. So now you've got a God in heaven with an enemy called Lucifer that has a few empty demons out there helping him. But they never know what's going on. They can only respond to what they see happening as it happens. They cannot know of the mind of God except God would reveal that to them. And yet God says, no, I'm going to reveal it to you. So you're already a step ahead of the devil before he ever gets out of bed if he even sleeps. Meaning, meaning this, I have all authority over him because I can know the thoughts of God and he can't. Now he's got me frustrated. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know what to do. The devil's winning. He hears me barking, whining all the time and bemoaning my marriage. And God's up there like, dude, Mark, Mark, shut up, kneel down, seek my thoughts because I'll download my thought. And when I do, the enemy will always be a step or two behind you. He's always playing defense. So many of us would do better if we would stop playing defense. I rebuke you, devil. You don't even have to do that. Just say the Lord rebuke you and get busy about life. Stop fighting him. You don't need to fight him. Turn around and just say, God, tell me your thoughts. Because the moment I know your thoughts, I'll be a step ahead of him. He'll be behind me. Rather than me thinking he's in front of me, he's hindering everything. 
The only way he can hinder is to keep you from seeking to know the mind of God. Well, God would never tell me. I said that to someone today at lunch that many Christians don't even believe God does speak. And if they do, they don't even know what he sounds like. They don't know his voice. So I wrote this down in a thought. This mystery, a new time arrives. Jesus said, I've come to announce it's here. The promise is here, Mark 1. A new time arrives, the authority of God's kingdom. And his kingdom government will, here's the, man, the best phrase I can give you and where we're really going to hang for about 11 weeks. That his kingdom government will now be internalized within his children. I'll read it again. A new time arrives. The authority of God's kingdom government will now be internalized within his children. So the government is not just going to be a king on a throne or a prophet with a stick. The government of God will be deposited within every individual who chooses to dare believe him. That means that the, the body of Christ, if you're the hangnail on the baby toe, anybody got a baby toe that looks like that? It's been hit so much it's not even straight. It doesn't even have a toenail on it anymore. You paint one on there because you're faking it. But it doesn't even have a toenail. You can be the hangnail on the skin of the non-toenail of the broken baby toe and you're still more powerful than the devil. You can be the lowest of the lowest of the low. But if you're in the family, the enemy is under your feet. Because God has internalized his government within you. That is what Jesus said. The time is here. What time? The time when I am going to make a sacrifice that will be so powerful it will blow the devil's mind. Because the moment I raise up, I'm going to go to heaven, grab a gift, and send the gift back. And the gift that I send will be the internalized power of God in everybody that dare believe me. And that's, that's just going to blow the mind of the spirit world. Because when God's people operate under the power of the internalized spirit within them, the devil's always playing backup. He's chasing us, trying to figure out what's going on. Because he cannot know. So you better believe that a body of people, if you want to ever study church history and why revivals come, almost, I'm going to go all of them, every revival that's ever been recorded happens because those that have the internalized spirit begin to yearn and seek him and pray to him long before the revival ever even happens. So if you want to say, well, you think revival will ever come, what we will say is, well, do you think God's people will ever seek him and pray? There's one happening in Asbury in Kentucky right now, and I was studying it and watching what's happened and reading about it, and they interviewed a professor that's on campus, and he said, it's really strange what's happening. It's awesome. He perceives it to be a God thing. But he said this. This is so interesting. He said, but what many people don't know is that there was a handful of students that had been coming early and going late for years that had been praying that God would show up and do something mighty. Oh, they're not on the front page of anything. It's the people that showed up for years and go, God, would you pour out your glory? Nothing happens. God, bring your spirit. Nothing happens. They graduate, move on. But four or five more show up. And then all of a sudden, what you're seeing that we call revival is the fruit of an internalized believer that begin to seek God. And God said, I'll show up now. What would dare happen on this corner? If everybody who walked in the door showed up, prayed up, showed up like, man, I've been on my face. That God would touch my generation. I have been on my face beseeching God that God would do something that would blow us away. And I kind of wonder if we even think that way. A lot of what I see today is just, God, I need a new job. God, I need money. God, I need help. God, I need favor. God, I need healing. 
I'm not against any of that. He's our father. But this authority was because he was going to deposit within us himself. Close your eyes for just a moment. If you are a believer tonight, and I would assume all are, right now, the God that broke into the darkness and said, let there be light, he lives in you. The God that said, I call the land up out of the water, lives in you. The God that created the mongoose and the lion and the giraffe and the hippopotamus and the gnat, he lives in you. The God that hung the sun, the moon, and the stars lives in you. The God that created the well and the oceans lives in you. Oh, we've, we've traded ourselves so short. He lives in you. It's mind-blowing. It's a mystery. It was so powerful, the devil said, if I would have known this, I would have never killed him. Can you fathom that with your eyes closed? If the devil had known this, he would have never crucified Jesus. That the God of the universe would indwell you sitting here right now. The God that Lucifer tried to kill has made himself home in you. And he wants to give you authority to rule and reign. Authority over your family. Authority over your circumstances. Authority over diseases and demons. Authority that when the righteous reign, an entire city will rejoice. Had the devil known that, he would not have even killed him. But now we do know that and don't do anything and aren't even a threat at all. Why? So with your eyes closed, have you diminished what the kingdom of God is in you? Have you dumbed it down? Have you turned it into religion? Have you made it a checkbox, a prayer, a devotion, a a Bible chapter out of the Bible, a a church service once a month? Have have you dumbed it down to the point that, that we've made it into something that the devil doesn't even fear now, that the enemy doesn't even feel threatened anymore? That is the kingdom of God that was a mystery. So, Father, right now in this moment, I pray you reveal it to us in the most supernatural way. Give us understanding of what it means that you have indwelled your people. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And will you say amen? Amen. Here's the thought. Now, this is the thought we're going to pick up for the next 12 weeks. Jesus will work to unify the kingdom government of God's authority between heaven and earth. So Jesus is going to unify the two. Right now, what you're going to find, and we will dig this out deeper, these are just surface thoughts to get us thinking. What you will find out is that before the kingdom government of God would kind of come down and show power and go back, he would empower Samson and Samson would tear stuff up and then it would leave him. It was so powerful that the way John the Baptist knew it was a different season, he said, well, I saw the spirit descend, but it never left him. And that was different. They knew of the Old Testament God that would empower people, but he would always leave them. David, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Was it was a genuine prayer because God would empower you. But then when he was done with you, his power would leave you. But then he would come and empower you again to go do something and you could kill a giant. So when Jesus shows up at the baptism and he comes up and and then it says, and I saw the spirit from heaven descend on him and I knew it to be the son of God because the spirit that came down never left him. So John the Baptist himself was like, this guy's different because something's strange about him. And that, Jesus says, I'll baptize you with power and fire. So this baptism of him unifying his authority between heaven and earth is that Jesus comes from heaven, lives on the earth, but this little and right here is going to be this thing that we call today the Holy Spirit. 
because he's going to bridge the gap between a God that just works sometimes between constant access to him 24-7, knowing his thoughts, having his wisdom, and walking in his power all the time because he communes with me. This is why Jesus will say, if you want to overcome, you better listen because I'm always talking. I'm always speaking. So this thought of the New Testament especially if you read it, it's it's interesting because you read the stories of Jesus and go, how could they miss it? Well, to me, the gospels are the beginning of the unification. The kingdom is here. And then they try to kill him, throw him off the edge of a cliff. He does all these powerful things. They just can't stand it. They could not fathom that heaven could come to earth. How dare you proclaim your God? There's no, you're a human. You're, you're the son of Joseph and Mary. No, I'm God. Kill him. Right? I mean, those are the stories. So when we say he came to unify, let's make it dirty. It was ugly. It was muddy. They called him names. His own brothers thought he was off his rocker. They would have locked him up today and put him in an insane asylum. The Pharisees hated him. The Sadducees hated him. And if they did love him, they loved him privately because you didn't want people to know publicly you you knew him. So you came to him at night, especially if you were a well-to-do citizen, you came at night like Nicodemus. So when we say he came to unify, you'll see his frustration a lot. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Oh, you of little faith, how long do I have to be with y'all before you get it? Oh, you want to leave too? Just go. I don't, I'll start all over. Right? So the issue becomes is that Jesus is going to unify heaven and earth and the and between the two will be the empowering of his spirit. Now we know that Jesus is thinking this and is going to accomplish this, but remember that the people that are living it out have no clue. They're just thinking this dude in a robe from Galilee that does these weird things, he's going to take over Caesar, we're going to conquer Rome, and we're going to rule the world. That's what they're thinking. And so Jesus comes onto the scene to begin to kind of download what, what we mean by authority. Now this is powerful because what it's going to show us is that the devil was clued in even before the disciples were clued in. Because the disciples are, hey, you're coming to do your kingdom, right? And we're going to sit on your right hand, right? But when he bumped into a devil, they went far beyond that and said, hey, you you didn't come to torment us now, have you? He's like, nah, I'll torment y'all later. But it's coming. Like they had some weird understanding of his authority in the spirit realm, even though the earthly realm didn't. The heavenly realm knew his authority. So what was going on here in the heavenly realm takes earthly people quite a while to get it because they say that it doesn't even, it's not even our wisdom. So as the heavenly son comes down into the flesh on the earth, long before he even preaches, you have the spirit world showing up challenging his authority. Hey, if you really are the son of God. So before he ever preaches or walks on water or does his stuff, the, the heavenly realm already understood the authority and they're trying to get it from him. In the, you know, we would call it the wilderness when he's tempted. And then he comes and begins to work in the earth and then everybody in the earth is trying to kill him and get rid of him because we have to stop the authority that he has. So as he's walking, and we're going to go through a lot of it, but as he's walking his journey on the earth, He comes to a very interesting thing, and it's a prayer. Everybody knows it. I'm sure even if you don't know God, you've heard the prayer. I'll read it, Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven. Now, it starts very interesting because it doesn't start my Father in heaven. He starts out, if you want to know how to pray, you're going to pray our So immediately he let you know this kingdom thing is not just you individually. It's a group thing here. There's power when you're together. 
I'll never let you go singular. And he never did. He never let them go out singular. He always had them to go. So what we do start knowing about the kingdom government of God, it, it, it's no longer going to use singular people. It's going to use groups of people to, to accomplish his work because he's going to empower everybody, not just one special person that gets all the glory. I'm not saying he won't use an individual, but hallowed be your name. There's that thinking of the kingdom of God. He's the most high. There's nobody like him. And now, so we're, we're two lines in. He said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Two lines in, he says, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to tell him you want the kingdom to come. Two lines in. Two lines. Before I even get an opportunity to tell him that my back hurts. I need him to heal my elbow. My dog is sick. My cat's sick. My wife's mad. He gets you about four sentences in before you can even say, give us. He sinks it up to, let's just get something. There's, there's someone in heaven who has a kingdom that he wants to be done on the earth. So now he links it up. And the way he's going to link up the unity, long before he introduces us to the spirit, he's going to link up the unity of heaven and earth with relationship. Nobody is going to understand what he says. Our father in a relational equity. I mean, I understand he's a father and he's ours because we're Jews and we kind of keep him to ourselves. But Jesus isn't talking that way. Jesus is bringing him into a relational thing. Because he goes this way. Give us this day and uh, just think about it. I don't have time to teach it. Maybe one day there's not a blooming thing in here that has me, I. Nowhere. And I would present to you that the majority of why we don't see revival is not the devil. It's that our prayers are me, I centered. And I don't see anywhere in here that's I centered. Give us this day our daily bread, meaning you must be in a community. You're not alone. And forgive us our debts. So obviously there's going to be people that irritate you things that you've done and do not lead us into temptation meaning if the devil's on your back all the time it's probably you in temptation not us because when we're with us it keeps you out of a lot of trouble when you're with other believers but deliver us as a group from the evil one for yours again it's just in a few of the Translations, not all. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's his prayer. It is the most foreign prayer to the way American mentality of Christianity even thinks today. I, like it's so, and I, I'm judging myself in it as well. Like a lot of our praying just feels selfishness. Like God needs to do this for me or else. And yet when you read this, it appears that there's spiritual things going on. There's communal things going on. There's a relational things going on. There's economic things going on. And, and the whole time it's going on, sandwiched between the two is kingdom and kingdom. He wants to rule and reign. He wants to accomplish something. He'll go on to say this, John chapter 15 just to show he's trying to pull everybody into a thinking. I'm the vine, John 15, 5. You are the branches. You got to abide in me and I in you and bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now notice that because casual reading, it's just a good devotional scripture. But in relationship to what we read, that it had the devils known it, they would have never killed him. Why would, they, why would they have never killed him? Because Jesus gives a self-fulfilling prophecy. Without me, nothing. That's why had the devils known and not killed him, you wouldn't have anything right now. You would be a sitting disaster. Under all the power of the enemy. 
So Jesus himself, when he says, without me, you're nothing, he's alluding to, but with me, you would be what? Everything. Does that make sense? Without me, nothing, but kill me. Let me be raised and go get the gift and then dare ask me for the gift. You'll be everything. Come on, that's good. So get rid of this victim, poor, pitiful me mentality. Come on. That's not inspiring to anybody, poor, pitiful me. Without him, nothing. With him, everything. I have all my needs met. If I seek the kingdom, I lack nothing. He may bring it to me on the back of a butterfly, but I lack nothing. Oh, how could you believe that? Because I'm living in a kingdom that's not bound by the logic and the wisdom of the world. It is bound by the logic and wisdom of his own self. And he can speak to the wind and the wind can bring a healing. He can make water come out of a rock. He can make a bird bring me a peanut butter sandwich. I suddenly feel in spirit filled all of a sudden. I'm like, whoo. Come on, but it's true. But I'm going to ask you a harder question. How many people right now can you count on your hand that live this way? That wake up just going, I've got everything. Bless the Lord God Almighty. Me and my wife had a fight last night. Bless God, I woke up today. No devil of hell. I've already got coffee made with some omelets. and Ooh, glory. Because the devil does not own me. And all I have to do is stand in my home as an authority and say, based on God Almighty, the Lord himself rebuke you, Satan. You have no right to my children. You have no right to my life. I take authority over you because with him, I can do all things. Come on, we even quote that. I can do all things through So the all things I can do is not because God's wanting to be narcissistically selfish and get everything. It's all things because he has a kingdom he's trying to run. And if you'll just run the kingdom, you'll never have to worry about a thing. He'll just take care of your kids, take care of your house, take care. You just run his kingdom. We'll study that later. Well, to keep bringing, he's trying to unify us. He says this in John 15, 6, you didn't choose me. I like that. Praise God. Don't ever get too cocky. <laughs> oh, but I like the fact that he knows me and still chose me, though. But I chose you. But I didn't just choose you, it says, to make you giddy so you could go to heaven. I chose you to appoint you to something. So had they known that he was going to appoint you to something, they would have never killed him. Now, what they think is they're going to appoint him to ride white horses beside him and wield swords and rule Rome. I appoint you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever, oh Lord, come on. (laughs) Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. That's mind blowing. Had the devil known this, that had never killed him. Oh, wait a minute. Abide in me. What do you mean abide? What do you mean abide? Choose. What do you, I don't understand. You, the devil's constantly trying to figure this out. Come on now. He's literally trying to figure out what's going on. What, how he just walked on water. That's no fair. Like really, he's trying to get it. And Jesus is just in the weirdest of ways, downloading nuggets of the mystery, tossing a nugget of mystery. Well, you can abide in me. What, what did he mean by that? You can bear fruit. I've chosen you. I've appointed you. I, and hey, ask dad anything. And you know the devil's like, well, what do they mean, ask dad anything? Because I went up there and talked to him and I didn't get anything. I, I got Job. Because Lucifer talked to him. According to what we did, it appear with all the angels and chit-chat with all of them, which is a weird doctrine. Had he known, I suppose what I'm trying to get you to, I'm trying to get you to a place of had he known. But the, the reality is not had he known, it's over. The, the question now is do you know? Do you know what he did for you? Because if we do, 
Somebody needs to get a bat and step up to the plate and swing for the fences here. Well, I've always wanted to go on missions, but I have no money. Ha! You serve the God of the universe. God of the universe, I want to go to another country and serve you and see how they serve you. I'm going to sign up. I told Phil I'm going to sign up. I'm going to go to Africa with Phil, but I have no money, but I'm going. And God's like, whoo, glory. Somebody just decided to trust me. Come on, he'll blow your mind. You get all stuck up in what you can afford and you can do. You don't understand what he's trying to do. He says, get out of you and your own power and your own wisdom and watch what I'll do for you. All right, let's take another scripture. Matthew 28, just so you know, it wasn't the beginning and he changed his mind later. This is the end of it all. He's been resurrected. He's, they killed him and he's come up from the dead and he goes and chats with his fellows and ladies. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spoke to them. So this is, this is the, the living Jesus that the devil just crucified. And the devil, this is, let's say Monday morning maybe, I don't know. But the devil's like, what just happened? Who was watching him? Stupid little guard. I thought we put the best guard there. How could y'all let this happen? I, I didn't know. I, I, I just was sitting there wanting to know. Why, why'd you kill him? And you know the whole kingdom of Lucifer's in chaos. Clueless. And Jesus just dusts himself off and just appears. And just walks up to his fellas and ladies. And this is the phrase. Hey. All authority. He brought it right back to a government thing, right back to a kingdom thing, right back. So fellas, don't get too excited and make this a religious thing. All authority. This is about the angels and the demons and the thrones and the powers and the world. This is about all of it. And I'm about to download something to you. All of it has been given to me in heaven. And on the earth. I got all of it back. Every bit of this is coming back. And now if you go back from this point and start reading all the parables, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, it starts blowing your mind like, how could I miss all this? These little parable things that are so weird stories, but he even tells us in every story is hidden the mystery. I had to do it that way. They would have never got it. So I had to talk about seeds and dirt and stuff. But in it, there was a mystery. So that having eyes to see, they still wouldn't see. But to you, he will say, I've revealed it. Watch what he says and we'll end here. And this is just so you feel, feel good. We're 20 slides in and we have about 40 more to go. So we'll part two. I don't want to keep you to midnight, and I could. Go, therefore, just so you know, he keeps, he keeps going with it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here it comes. Here comes the mystery, the plan that is going to be revealed, the hidden to all generations. Now manifest, had the devil known this, he would have never killed him moment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in my name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's that and. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you and do. And lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Never could this phrase ever been said. God was not with them always. He was in a box and they needed to be close to the box to be with him. But if they stole the box and took it to another state, then, then they're all falling apart. And where'd the box go? And if you lived in the time of Jesus, the power was only wherever he went. So if he's in Decapolis, you got to get on your donkey. We're going to Decapolis. He's over there. Then you get there and he's a day away. You're like, oh, I got to go. Where are you going now? The other side of the lake. That's where he's at. You're chasing him. But not anymore. You don't have to chase revival or anything. Low. I like that word. I'm with you always. He's going to go to bed with you tonight, wake up with you in the morning. 
He's with you all the time. Now, this is what he's trying to make known when he says the kingdom is near you. It's here. It's now. I'm here. And then he starts this journey of teaching and throwing seeds and trying to get you to get it. And devils don't get it. And humans don't get it. And sometimes he's frustrated flipping tables. And sometimes it's like you have little faith. Why don't you get it? But the beautiful thing is he kept going because the plan was in the mind of his father before the frustrations ever arose. I would like to leave you with this thought. That the mind of God being downloaded to you should end every frustration when you know the mind of God. For let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. And even says, and I think it's Corinthians 2, he ends it with, but you have the mind of Christ. So the, the reality of this is that God is trying to get me to know that when you know his mind, you can handle the frustrations. Because this is the end of it. He, 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 he won the battle, but to unify it, there was a bunch of frustration happening. But he endured anyway. Even when he did not want to do it and said to God, I really don't want to do this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's because he knew the plan of God. And when you watch now, this will help, I hope. When you know God's thoughts and plan for your life, you're better better able to do war when the going gets rough. And the people who tap out are the people who aren't pressing in to know his thoughts in mind. Right? I mean, that, that's the way I would see it. Because if you, if you don't know the plan of God for your life and his thoughts for you, I have thoughts to prosper. We could go that way. Whatever it would be. If you don't know that and you get in the middle of a suffering moment or a battle or a hard time, you, you will tap out. You'll never beat the devil. Cannot. Impossible. The only way you can beat him is you have to be under his authority to take authority. All right? Give you this thought. We'll pick it up here next week. So we've seen that the scope of the kingdom was God's kingdom rule, was righteous fellowship through a select group of people. We've seen that the subject of the kingdom is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the work. He's the wisdom of God. He shows up on the planet and says, hey, I'm here to bring the kingdom. It's here now. And now so we've seen the scope of the kingdom, we've seen the subject of the kingdom, and where we're going to go now in the weeks ahead is this, the synthesis of the kingdom. The synthesis, meaning he's going to merge heaven and earth together. He's going to merge humans with God via his spirit. And all of this is going to be that he can have subjects of his kingdom who operate with divine authority so that the kingdom can manifest on the earth. Here's the thought behind this synthesis, and this is what we'll pick up in the weeks ahead. The unification of God's governing authority, so the unification of it between heaven and earth will be realized when Jesus grants authority to his body, the church. The moment we realize something happened is at two points, two very distinct points. I'll end with this thought. God's kingdom rule has been from eternity past. It's worked itself out in Noah, Abraham, Moses, the kingdom, the law, the wilderness wanderings, the northern southern kingdoms. And then Jesus comes along and now he's about to unify these two distinct heaven here with a prophet and then a bunch of stuff. He's going to unify heaven and earth into one to where it's just this constant flow. And the way we know that's going to happen is when he's baptized, the flow hits him and the spirit remains on him. But it's only when he baptizes the body in the book of Acts where he says, don't do anything until you've been endued with power. Because the moment his authority comes to his body in the baptism of the spirit and he empowers his people with the spirit, that's where we pick up the book of Acts and just crazy things start happening. Towns are flipped upside down. Demons are running around, what, what's going on? Healings are happening. 
But what was going on in the, the fresh believers, and we'll look at this later, but what was going on is that they genuinely believed this. I don't know if we do today, but they did. They genuinely believed that the living Jesus was with them. It wasn't a feeling. He, he was here. He's with us. This is why Peter could say, I don't have anything but what I do have. Like it, we've kind of moved Jesus to a feeling like, whoo, you could feel him. Mm, do you feel that? Oh, my hair stood up. Woo, glory, that song. Woo, that message. Woo, that. Nothing wrong with that. We're human. But what's happened is we've moved Jesus to a feeling of an anointing. And to the original believers, he wasn't a feeling of the anointing. He was the anointing himself that had baptized them. And they didn't care if they felt the thing. You could beat them. And they'd come out going, thank God I got beat. Right? Because they were teaching us it's not a feeling, it's a knowing. Which is why if you parse it out through the epistles, Paul will say, I mean, I just pray that you know. I pray that you have an understanding. I pray that your eyes would be open. I pray that you would, right? Oh, that I would but know him in the power of his resurrection. It was all about a knowing. It wasn't nothing about a feeling that we've, Pentecostals have moved it to a feeling. Well, I left church because I just couldn't feel the presence anymore. Well, it's probably your fault. But that's how we've done it. It's just a feeling. Let me pray for you. We'll pick this up next week. I believe it will bless you. So, Father, thank you.